Pooja Puri has loved writing stories since she was a child. She first tasted publishing success with her short story Chess while still a student, and her 2017 debut novel The Jungle was nominated for the 2018 Silip Carnegie Medal. Her latest title, A Dinosaur Ate My Sister, is a fun time-travelling adventure story and is the first book to be selected for the Marcus Rashford Book Club. Nikki Gamble recently talked to Pooja and asked her to tell us more about her writing journey. I knew I wanted to be an author since I was a child. Um, So when I got asked that question, oh, what do you want to be when you're older? My answer always was, I want to be a writer. And it's funny, actually, because I think early on, everyone thinks, oh, you know, that's wonderful. And as you get older and you still keep having this as an answer, people start to kind of give you a bit of a worried look. Um, That's fine now because I actually have, I am actually now an author. (laughs) But um, I remember going into libraries when I was younger and looking at all the books on the shelves and seeing the author's names and just thinking, yeah, this, this must be the most brilliant job in the world that you just get to write stories for a living. And like many writers, I went through the cycle of writing stories and rejections and writing and rejections. And then in uh, 2014, I was one of 10 winners uh, selected for this um, Ideas Tap Inspires competition, which was um, a competition run by an organisation in Norwich called uh, Writers' Centre Norwich. And it's a brilliant organisation which uh, it carries out a lot of different uh, writing schemes and mentoring schemes to help encourage up-and-coming authors. And what this scheme did was it partnered a new uh, author with an established one. So I was partnered with Nicola Upson, who's a Faber-published crime author. And through this process, we had one-to-one tailored sessions really which helped develop our writing and hone our writing skills and I found it really helpful to have this uh, supportive network to help build my knowledge of the publishing process and really get an insight into the industry because I think until you're actually kind of thrown into it you don't really know about the inner workings and who the agents are and who the editors are and how it all links together it can be quite an unfamiliar world And then there was a showcase, um, I remember, at the end of this scheme and a a number of different um, agents and um, editors were invited. And it was really useful for me because it was through that that I managed to get an agent. And from that, I then went on to do the Writing for Young People MA at Bath Spa University, too. So it's, it's been quite a journey, really, to see you know, how the stories have developed from that first draft Mm. to now a real book on a real bookshelf. Mm. It's interesting listening to you talk that uh, you appreciated as much the industry knowledge as you did the creative. Yeah, it was talked about a lot, even on the master's course as well, because in fact, there's actually a, a whole module on it, because I think people who might be new to the process may just think you kind of submit your story and that's it, you're done with it until it appears in its sort of beautiful form on a on a shelf. But that's that's not true at all. You're very, very involved um, with the process. There's a number of different editorial stages that are involved in transforming the book from the first draft into mm. the finished book that you see. And actually, there's a lot of um, marketing and uh, sort of knowledge that is actually really useful to know um, and sort of how to promote yourself as an author, how to get involved with events and really to put yourself out there sort of to give your book and your story the best sort of exposure is actually another really important strand of the course that they that we talked about and discussed as well. Mm. Did you have to have a thick skin? (laughs) 
Um, yes, yes, you do. In a word, um, particularly on the um, on the master's course, because you're it's actually even harder because you're you're writing every single week and you're writing a couple of different pieces. And obviously, under those tight time constraints, you know what, that what you're going to bring to the workshop won't necessarily be your best, most polished work. And so you do have to have a very thick skin because you know when it goes into there, it's it's going to get dissected and it's all done very constructively, but you can't be too precious about um you know certain certain sentences or certain ideas. You you have to be open to people trying to help you improve your story. This book that we're talking about now, it's not your first book, but it's your first what is now called middle grade uh, yeah. book. And it has been selected for the Marcus Rashford reading club it's the first book that's been selected for that reading club yeah the the book club it's this um brilliant initiative which is uh designed to improve access to books and reading for children from disadvantaged backgrounds and um the book club has teamed up with uh the children's food charity magic breakfast and what they're going to be doing is donating 50,000 free copies of the book uh to over 850 primary schools um, across England and Scotland and essentially the aim is to try and give children who might not otherwise have access to books and access to stories to give them that access and to give them the opportunity to experience um, that wonder and that joy of books for themselves and I'm really excited about it because uh, growing up I I was fortunate because I, I did have access to books and I think often uh, people sometimes think a book's a book, but I, I always say a book is never just a book. A book is it's a lot more than that, as well as, you know, allowing you to sort of lose yourself in someone else's imagination and someone else's world. They help build, I think, a lot of transferable skills too, like resilience and ability to empathise with others. And I think all of these things, you know, that wonder and that empowerment that books can give is it's something that should be available to mm. everyone. And I'm really excited to see what the what the book club does and what it can achieve. Um, mm. So, yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm really excited for the book to come out and see what happens. That's a really uh, important message that you've just given there. A book is never just a book. And you've talked about the sort of life lessons that reading can teach you. You don't necessarily think you're being taught at the time, but those lessons kind of sit within you. And then when you experience perhaps particular challenges in your life all that repository of reading is there yeah. and you draw upon it I mean I've been very aware of doing that throughout my life is that something that you've also been aware of you know consciously drawing on things that you've read I, I think so and I think because with stories you know that what obstacles characters will encounter you know they'll probably fall and then they'll rise and they'll get up and try again and I think that sort of um determination and perseverance is actually really key to so many children's stories and I think experiencing stories and, and knowing that actually you can carry on it's, it's really mm. important not just for being a writer but just in life in general mm. Mm, definitely which means that we uh, should turn our attention to your hilarious book Dinosaur Ate My Sister, uh, which is full of uh, characters that learn some of these lessons about getting up and having another go and uh, being resilient. Perhaps just introduce us to the story first. Okay, so um, A Dinosaur Ate My Sister is this very wacky time travel adventure 
which features Isha Verma, a genius inventor extraordinaire, her apprentice Broccoli and his tortoise Archibald. And the story kicks off with Isha wanting to win the Brain Trophy, which is this amazing prize, which she's uh, which is given every year to the best young inventor. And she's been desperate to win it. And for the past three years, she's come second place. And this year, she's completely determined that she's going to win it. In fact, she's convinced because this year she's come up with her most genius invention yet, which is a time machine. And um, everything seems to be going really well until the day before the contest. As they're getting ready to test the time machine, her big sister Nishi, as big sisters are prone to do, storms into her room and um, she presses the big red button, which she is specifically told not to touch. And lo and behold, she disappears along with Isha's time machine. And I don't want to give too much more away about what happens next, but what I will say is that it involves um, Secunda Secundai, a new officer of time who then appears and informs them that they have uh, broken time regulations as decreed by the office of time. And what follows after that is this very sort of bonkers um, madcap adventure come prehistoric rescue mission, which involves inventions and terrifying time space monsters and of course plenty and plenty of you know plenty of dinosaurs as well i'm glad you used the word bonkers it is bonkers. <laughs> it's gloriously bonkers and isha as a uh protagonist certainly doesn't lack confidence that's not one of her problems is it no not at all <laughs> she is confident perhaps to a fault i would say the best thing is she doesn't even realize sometimes that her that she's so confident that often that's also what gets her into trouble but it, it's funny, actually, you mentioned her confidence because um, often with coming up with character voices, sometimes it can be a little bit of a battle to try and figure out what is the voice of this character going to be. And you can often go through quite a few drafts. But actually, with Isha, her voice just came to me immediately. It was so confident and so full of this very brazen self-belief that I'm a genius inventor and uh, I'm going to prove it to you. That's, that's <laughs> her sort of attitude towards life, really. I mean, she loves inventing things that are technological, but she also loves inventing language. Yeah. And tell us about some of her invented words. She's she's like Shakespeare in that respect. I mean, he was very good at coming up with new words too. Yeah, it's it's funny because I think for me, um, I've never seen sort of science and reading or, or English, if you like, as being sort of exclusive. I've always seen them as being very, they sort of intermingle really. And I, I kind of think that the process of, you know, writing and coming up with words is very similar to inventing something technological because what you're doing is you have say an idea or something that you start off with and then you you build at it and you tinker away at it um, and then you sort of have a finished product and you sort of see what happens with it and it just seemed to me the most natural thing that if she was inventing sort of these scientific sort of bonkers um, inventions that she would of course always also invent words because that's kind of whole mindset and a whole approach to life is she sees something and she thinks oh I can make this better and this is how I'm going to make it better is give my own twist on it um so one of my favorite words that she invents in the book is strong which is what she calls her big sister Nishi um which is uh, essentially uh, a way of saying that she's um she's double wrong so she's a drong and spingly tingly is another one that she uses a lot which is taken I think really from spine tingly and she sort of merges them together and so, yeah, there's, there's quite a few different ones in there. And of course, her inventions as well all have these 
quite interesting names like the um, extender hand is one of them and the insta d sticker so I, I wanted to kind of give it some sort of modern spins but mm. yeah just make it quite fun of course once those words are out there they're there forever it'll be interesting to see how the readers pick them up <laughs> and where the drong becomes part of the the lingo uh, I hope, it, I hope it does That's the aim. <laughs> uh, right at the beginning of the book you name check some inventors who are talking about you, you you know it's fictional where you're talking about that oh they won this prize when they were eight and ten years old and there's some names we recognize there like Alexander Graham Bell and there are a couple of women inventors that you mention uh Nancy Johnson and Grace Hopper who are perhaps not such familiar names do you think that sometimes female inventors in the past have not risen into the limelight in quite the same way I should probably start with what Nancy invented first. So she was the inventor of the first ice cream machine. And um, I think it's interesting. I would say it's it's maybe not even just women inventors. I would say it's probably also women in science too. And I think I was really conscious uh, when I started writing this that, yes, Isha was going to be a um, genius inventor, but she was also going to be a, a woman of science, as is Nishi, her big sister, because she's a meteorologist. And both of them are very confident scientists, and they don't think that they can't do science. They don't think of it as being a sort of a boy's subject. Um, and that's definitely something that's sort of fed into, I think, from my own experiences at school, because I loved science as a kid too. And it would be nice if female inventors were given a little bit more exposure, I think, than they are. And that's something I'm sort of hoping to change a little bit with the book is actually mm-hmm. to give kids a bit of a, a bit of an, a sort of a way in that they can kind of go and look up these inventors for themselves and think, mm-hmm. oh, well, actually, what is it that they did? And, you know, what's what do they do? And just to find out a little bit more about their lives. I just knew that I wanted Isha to have some female role models, particularly inventors. That felt really important to me um, mm-hmm. as I was writing it. and. I did also really want her sister to also be into science, but into a completely different strand of science, one which Isha just thinks is the most boring thing ever, Mm. uh, because I just thought that would give it a really fun dynamic for the reader. Mm. And of course, Broccoli's into science as well, but he's more into dinosaurs because of his kind of heritage and his grandmother, who was a great fossil hunter. (laughs) And I love the way that, I mean, sometimes when I was reading it, I didn't know whether I was reading something that you'd invented or something that was real, you know, because it is in this madcap story. But you kind of interweave little bits of information, again, without them detracting from this adventure that's going on. But the idea that birds didn't come from pterodactyls, for instance, that's a really interesting one. Yeah, and that's actually true. I think it was great because through Broccoli, I I did this with Isha too, but particularly through Broccoli, what I actually did was sort of try and feed the reader facts about sort of dinosaurs and the dinosaur world without them realising that they're kind of being taught about it. And I think it would be, you know, I would love it if after this, someone who has no idea about dinosaurs can actually just sort of recite off a couple of facts about them. So the great thing is that Isha's time machine does work. I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And of course, we can guess that it goes back to uh, the age of the dinosaurs, the Cretaceous period in particular. Um, And that brings us into contact with a third character. They're sort of a little trio that go off on this uh, adventure together. But tell us about Secondi. Secondus. 
So he is a new officer of time and he always follows the rule book and he's very sort of determined to be like his father who's a time legend and he's got he's done so many amazing missions and this is Secundus's first mission and he's he really wants it to go well he really wants to make his father proud and um unfortunately what he doesn't realize is that his first mission is going to involve encountering Isha and her inventions and um and Broccoli and his tortoise so I wanted someone who could kind of prove a sort of counter to Isha but it was in such a way that um, she wasn't entirely sure how to deal with it because he's he's very much about following the rules. So he's not sort of overtly antagonistic towards her. But at the same time, everything that he sort of does represents everything she sort of doesn't really believe in because she, she doesn't really believe in going by the rules. Uh, she likes sort of taking risks and being quite adventurous. And he's very much about doing things properly and following the guidelines and following protocols. and what I really wanted was for both of them when they sort of meet and their sort of worlds collide is for both of them to learn something from each other and just to take away, you know, a little, a little bit of each, sort of each other's character almost uh, so that they, they, and I, th- I think they have done that by the end. I think both of them have taken something positive from each other's character and sort of they'll use that then to, you know, in later life. Mm. There's a little bit in there where they're kind of, They've got competing views as to what constitutes brilliance, uh, yeah. which kind of exemplifies what you're talking about here. Now, you've obviously got a very creative brain and inventive <laughs> brain too. Um, and there are lots of things in there. I mean, I love the little talks that are caught. Yeah. And that's to do with the time energy that's created yeah. by the shift in time. And then all these little talks come to feed on the time energy that's left yeah. behind by, by the time machine. And they're sort of like firefly creatures, aren't they, that can be captured yeah. into uh, glass vials. Brilliant idea. And then we've all heard, or most people will have heard of the kind of butterfly effect that, you know, if you change one tiny thing, it could have these ripples through time. And that's one of the ideas behind the time machine going back. Well, suddenly things might change. That's possibly quite a serious philosophical idea. But then you have this amazing machine that measures the ripple effects so it's just absolutely hilarious so tell <laughs> us a bit about that that was a lot of fun and because time travel is just it's such a massive concept and it's there's so many different strands to it you've got the grandfather paradox you've got you know you've got the butterfly effect um there's time space continuum there's there's so many different you know you've got parallel worlds um you can probably tell that I'm a big fan of, of Doctor Who and, and time travel. And so I think all of this sort of fed into the story. And I remember when I when my editor sort of that first draft, she said, OK, we, we need to strip back some stuff here. There, there's a lot going on. And at the same time as obviously writing a time travel story, you, you also want to make sure it's accessible to the reader because there's there's a lot going on in this story. And so essentially what I ended up doing was looking at it and looking at all this kind of bonkers time travel stuff that was going on and thinking okay I need to pick my favorite one out of all of this and I picked the the ripple meter because what I like doing when I'm sort of building fantasy worlds is I like sort of taking existing familiar ideas and then turning them on their head because it's like it's something the reader will know about but then they'll sort of be reading and they'll think oh hang on this isn't quite doing or this is it's slightly different to what I was expecting um 
because it sort of gives them this sort of comfort level and then it takes them out of it. And I think that's a great thing to do to a reader as a writer. I, I remember sitting down and when I was actually, I, I drew out this ripple meter because I was trying to figure out sort of physically what it would look like on the page. And then I remember sort of playing around with what is the worst that could happen with these ripples and sort of each one, it sort of notches up the urgency and the sort of danger. And that was that was really a writer's dream was to just go completely mad with that and just think, you know, you pick an, an era, you know, in time and you think, OK, how am I going to invert this and how am I going to make it a little bit bonkers and a little bit mad? Um, and that was really how I approached the, sort of the, the building the time world, really. So what's interesting is in that meter, at the at one end of the continuum, you've got calm and at the other yeah. end at the extreme you've got doom and then there are all these crazy things that happen and then the last one that you get to before doom is the world turns upside down well if you think about that logically it isn't <laughs> any way up anyway yeah. <laughs> yeah some of it if you actually if you, if you think about it there is actually you you sort of think oh well hang on a second but it, it's it's sort of the pace at which the story runs I did put in very slight I think maybe more so for adults if they're reading this with their children you know with the children just little things they might pick up on to also give them a bit of a laugh which not the kids may not necessarily pick up on this um but I, I think you know the best sort of funny books are those which uh, can appeal across the ages and so I, I was always conscious let me see if I can feed something in here that might sort of get the adults as well You've mentioned that you're a Doctor Who fan. I'm assuming that you also like things like The Land That Time Forgot and Jurassic Park and yes. all Jurassic of those Park. sorts yep. of things. <laughs> Jurassic Park, you're nodding at me furiously here. I've loved Jurassic Park um, ever since I, you know, ever since the first time I watched it. And it's one of those movies that, you know, if you walk past the TV and it happens to be on, I'll just always end up sitting down and watching it, even though I've watched it so many times. And I think it's just the fact that you've got these, uh, you know, you've got humans coming into uh, contact with these uh, prehistoric uh, creatures who are obviously not prehistoric anymore. They brought them back. And it's it's sort of that initial they think, oh, everything's fine. And then it's very, very quickly not fine. And they're thrown into a lot of danger. And I was I was trying to capture, I think, a slight flavor of that with when Isha and Broccoli land in the Cretaceous Age, because they start off with the dinosaur who's just happily chewing away on those leaves. And then actually, suddenly things start to go pear-shaped very, very quickly. Because I think in, in Jurassic Park, although you've got the kids, there is still, they are sort of supervised sort of in terms of with the adults. And I just wanted this to be an encounter just with children and dinosaurs. And I just think that, especially because Isha is such a confident character, she's sort of the character that would think well they're not going to get the better of me and so I just thought that would be a really funny kind of dynamic to have because here you've got the most dangerous sort of creature that's probably ever existed and here you've got Isha who thinks that nothing can defeat her and sort of it's like who's going to come out on top in that situation we're not going to tell anyone no we're not (laughs) you'll have to read it to find out I think we've probably done enough to whet people's appetites. I hope so. What is going to happen in the Cretaceous period and whether they do ever get back to Isha's laboratory and whether she does ever enter her time machine for the uh, Young Inventors competition. Who knows? People will have to read it and find out. But it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Pooja. I wish you all the very best with this uh, new book. And maybe there'll be another adventure for us to look forward to from this trio in the future. 
There is. Yep. There will be a book two, uh, which I'm working on at the moment. Um, and that will hopefully be coming out next year. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you for having me. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.